Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read verses 11 through 16, and then we're going to skip down to chapter 20 and read the first six verses in chapter 20. So a little bit extensive reading today, but let's read the word of the Lord together. It's on the screen so that we can all read the same version at the same time. Let's read the word of the Lord together. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now let's skip down to chapter 20 and begin at verse 1 and read together. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, Lord, we thank you for our time together. and We thank you for your word. I ask you to give me clarity of thought and speech and anointed utterance that I may proclaim your word in such a manner that it will be understood. And more than that, that it will be transformative of our lives. I pray that you will give us ears to hear not so much what I'm going to say in preaching, but what the Spirit will say in the midst of my preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I especially pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit after them. Draw them. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. 
For the last several weeks, I've been talking to you about what the Bible has to say about the end of this age. The last couple of weeks in particular have been pretty somber as I've been talking about difficult, perilous times of trouble that are going to be the markers and the signs that we are in the season of a coming judgment upon the earth. Today, I want to try and get us out of tribulation and trouble and into something a little more exciting and encouraging. Could anybody deal with that? <laughs> Thankfully, the end for the follower of Jesus is not peril and judgment, but the end is victory and triumph. The end is not wrath. The end is blessing. It's true that we can expect to face some dark times, but that is not the final word. There is an end to trouble and tribulation and wrath and judgment. Just when it looks like evil will completely win the day, just when it looks like the forces of darkness will triumph, that's when the Lord Jesus himself will personally intervene. Just when it looks like all is lost, then the Lord is going to descend from heaven riding a white horse. He will be accompanied by the armies of heaven, which include the angelic host and the redeemed who have been gathered from the earth into heaven. The army of the Antichrist is going to be defeated. The beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to be seized. They will be cast in the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, and then the devil himself will be bound and thrown into the abyss for a period of 1,000 years. In verse 11 of our text, the beloved elder John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. I want to tell you, when Jesus comes the next time, Jesus is coming visibly. He went away literally, actually, bodily, visibly. He's coming back literally actually, bodily, visibly. When Jesus returns to this earth, there will be no mistaking him for another. There will be no question that he has arrived. He will be known to the whole earth. Every eye will behold him. Jesus is coming visibly. And then I want you to know that when Jesus comes the next time, Jesus is coming victoriously. Verse 11 reveals the mastery of his conquest. It says that he comes riding upon a white horse. Verse 15 says that he strikes down the nations and rules them with a rod of iron and that he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. It's the mastery of his conquest. But then we see the mystery of his character. Verse 11 says he's called faithful and true and that he makes righteous judgments and righteous war. Verse 12 says his eyes are a flame of fire and that he has a name that no one knows except himself. You know, we know him as Jesus, but he has been given another name that is above every name. There's a mystery about him that you will never be able to fathom. He is higher. He is the highest of the high. He is so far above us. He is higher than anything we can imagine. You know, that was Satan's downfall. He said, I'm going to be like the most high. He tried to tell Eve in the garden, you will be as God. But I want to tell you, that will never happen. 
happen. Jesus is higher than the high. When Jesus comes victoriously, there's the mastery of his conquest. There's the mystery of his character. Oh, and then John tells about the majesty of his coronation. Verse 12 says that on his head are many diadems. Now that isn't the victor's crown. This is the regal crown that a king would wear. And it isn't just one crown. It's many crowns because according to verse 16 he is king of kings and lord of lords and then there is the ministry of his crucifixion verse 13 says that he has a vesture a robe that is dipped in blood I want to tell you that isn't the blood of his enemies not yet that is his own precious blood that was spilled at Calvary's cross it is the blood of Jesus that gives the victory the victory that he is about to win over the antichrist is based on on the blood. I'm telling you, not only is Jesus coming visibly, but Jesus is coming victoriously. You know, when Jesus comes to this earth the next time, it's not going to be like it was the first time. The first time Jesus was hailed as king was on Palm Sunday. On that day, you remember, he rode into the city mounted on the back of a young donkey's colt, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. On that day, the crowd shouted, hail him, hail him. Uh, but just a few days later, they were shouting, nail him, nail him. But I'm telling you, the next time he comes, he won't be riding a young donkey. Instead, he'll be riding a white stallion. The next time he comes, he won't be riding to his death. He'll be riding to his coronation. The next time he comes, he won't be carrying a cross. He'll be wearing a crown. The next time he comes, he'll be ushering in the full expression of a new kingdom upon this earth wherein dwells righteousness. The next time he comes, we'll be in glorious fulfillment of Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Jesus is coming visibly. Jesus is coming victoriously. Then I want you to know that Jesus is coming vengefully. Verse 15 says that from his mouth comes a sharp sword and that he's going to strike down the nations that are opposed to him and will rule them with a rod of iron. This verse says that he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of Almighty God. See, there is indeed coming a day when evil will be punished. There is coming a day when that which is opposed to God and to the things of God is going to be judged. Now, you and I aren't qualified to execute this kind of judgment and vengeance. Only the Lord is the righteous judge. And I want to tell you, you may not get justice on this earth. You may be victimized even by what is supposed to be a fair and impartial legal system. But I want to tell you, when Jesus comes, justice will prevail. When he comes, all wrongs will be made right. When he comes, all injustice will receive justice. When he comes, all wickedness will be punished. When he comes, all rebellion 
will be put down. See, the time of trouble you experience, it's not going to last forever. It will have an end. Jesus is coming to this earth again. He will put an end to tribulation and wrath, and his coming will usher in a glorious earthly reign that will last for a thousand years, a period of time we know as the millennial kingdom. When you look into God's word, you discover that it reveals some insight about what this millennial kingdom, this thousand years of peace, is going to look like. And before we finish up today, I want to talk to you about that millennial kingdom. Oh, that's my introduction. So just now I can preach, okay? First of all, I want you to see in the millennial kingdom, we're going to see the forceful restraint of Satan. Let me call your attention to, yeah, I thought somebody else would be happy about it. I have one person down here going, thank you, Jesus. No. Let me call your attention to verses 1 through 3 of chapter 20 once again that we read earlier. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, notice there's several things going on here. When the Bible talks about our spiritual enemy, it uses several different names in verse 2 to identify him. And each of these names describes part of his nature. He's called the dragon. This is a description of our spiritual enemy. A dragon is ferocious. A dragon is murderous. In the Gospel of John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus is talking to those who refuse to believe on him. And he says, you're of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. Watch this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand into the truth because there is no truth in him. This spiritual enemy, this dragon, brings death and destruction. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He brings death to youth, death to happiness, death to purity, death to holiness. He brings spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. This dragon is a killer. He's a murderer. Not only is he called a dragon, but he's called a serpent. The word serpent in the Bible speaks of deception. He has spoken half-truths and outright abominable lies. He has deceived the whole world. And I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to this or not, but it's in the first book of the Bible, the book of, the, of, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, that we have a serpent. What is he doing? He's deceiving. By the time we get over to the book of the Revelation, he's a dragon. Somewhere between deceiving all the way through, he becomes a dragon. The reason he, he grows from a serpent to a dragon is because we fed him. called a dragon murderer he's called a serpent deceiver and then he's also called the devil which means accuser the bible says he is the accuser of the brethren now watch this he accuses us before god by reminding him of our transgressions in an effort to get god to punish us instead of redeem us he accuses us before each other 
attempting to create division and discord in the body of Christ. And he accuses us to ourselves to destroy our sense of security and our assurance in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. He's a dragon murderer. He's a serpent deceiver. He's the devil accuser. He is also called Satan, which means adversary. He's the adversary of God. He is guilty of high treason against heaven's king. He is against all that is good, righteous, and holy. I want to tell you, behind every jail, behind every hospital, behind every asylum, behind every child molestation, behind every rape, behind all arson, behind all hatefulness, behind all hellishness, is Satan. He is an accomplice to every crime against God and humanity. Right now, according to 1 Peter 5 and 8, this spiritual enemy is roaming about over the whole earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I want to tell you, but when Jesus comes, this spiritual enemy is going to be forcefully restrained. He's going to stand before the heavenly court, and Jesus, the righteous judge, is going to pronounce the sentence. His sentence will be 1,000 years in a prison known as the bottomless pit. Now, this isn't his final destination, but it's a holding tank until his final doom is pronounced and sealed. As powerful as he seems right now, the Bible declares his days are numbered. On that day when Jesus comes, there's going to be an angel with a key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, which is the prison house where Satan will be incarcerated. Right now, Satan is running about over the earth. That's why we're told to be aware, to be vigilant to be on guard. But on that day, he's going to be bound, he's going to be chained, he's going to be cast into the abyss, and there isn't one single thing he can do about it, for he is a defeated foe. How am I doing for time? Because I want to insert something right here that... Can I just... Can I take about five minutes and and chase a rabbit? I try not to do this very often, but I've been told, I haven't had a chance to do complete research, so if you know better than this, wait till after the service and tell me, because this preach is really good. But I've been told that, you know, the Bible says that the devil roars... It goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? I've been told that the only time the lion roars, he doesn't roar while he's hunting. He roars after he has his prey killed. And what he's doing is he roars to let everybody else, all the other scavengers know, stay away. This is my prey. This is my kill. However... There's another kind of animal that's a devourer, and that's the jackals and the hyenas. They don't care that this is his prey. But here's what they will do. If one of them comes, that lion roars, and that lion can run that one off. But they don't ever come singly. 
They come in packs. One of them is not going to be able to do anything about what this lion has done. But the whole pack, and he can't handle the whole pack, and it drives the lion off. Can I just tell you that the devil as a roaring lion goes about trying to devour you, and he starts devouring you, but there's a way you can get rid of him. There's a way you can get him off your back. There's a way you can get him away from you and from influencing your life, and that is to get a pack of folks around you. If you'll get a whole pack of you together, if you'll stand strong in the company of the saints, and you'll come together against him, he will flee. Okay, I'm back. I'm back now. In the millennial kingdom, there's the forceful restraint of Satan. Not only that, but we will also see the future reign of the Savior. It's going to be a peaceful reign. It's going to be a perfect reign. During this thousand years that the enemy is bound, Jesus is going to be the absolute ruler over all the earth, ruling and reigning from his throne in Jerusalem. That's what it's talking about in verse 4 of chapter 20 when John writes, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This will be the time of the literal fulfillment of the prayer we pray so often. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. During the millennial kingdom, the Lord Jesus will be the absolute ruler over the earth and the saints will be given areas over which to rule and reign with him. We will be given positions in a righteous government, but this earth isn't going to be like it is now. See, right now there's war and strife, conflict and death, disease and heartache and trouble. Well, during the millennial kingdom, things are going to be a lot different. Satan is going to be bound and cast into the abyss. The period of the millennial kingdom will be a peaceable kingdom in which sin is not permitted. See, during the millennial kingdom, human kingdoms will be changed. The Old Testament prophet gives a glimpse of what this will look like when he writes in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Now, it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he may, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Human kingdoms will be changed during the millennial. During the millennial, the animal kingdom will be changed. That's what it's talking about in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. 
And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what's going to be going on in the millennial. Human kingdoms will be changed. The animal kingdom will be changed. Even the mineral kingdom will be changed. The prophet proclaims in Isaiah 35 verses 1 and 2, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the araba will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Think of it. The Sahara will be a beautiful garden. The saints are going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. Oh, oh, and watch this. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 10. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the hut of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. There will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want to tell you, this is where we're headed. The, the forceful restraint of Satan, the future reign of the Savior, but there's also going to be the futile rebellion of sinners. Just when you think everything is going to be forever idyllic, you come to verse 7 of Revelation chapter 20. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Uh, man. Just when you think Satan is gone, chained, put in the abyss, he comes out again. But notice, he hasn't somehow engineered a jailbreak. <laughs> this doesn't happen by his own machinations. He is released. God, who is always sovereign, allows Satan to have one final fling. This is God's final testimony to the wickedness of the human heart. And this is humanity's final test. You see, during that thousand years, during the millennium, there will be people born. There are people who weren't destroyed in the final battle, and they will be alive during the millennium. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus will rule the nations, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. There'll be no uprising, there'll be no Satan leading in rebellion, but deep down in the human heart, latent in the human heart, there will still be sin if it hasn't been washed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. In the millennium, there will be God's children, but there will also be those who are children of God's children who have not yet been saved. And when Satan is let loose after a thousand years, some of these crazy people, uh, that was an editorial comment, some of these people... 
are going to join with him in one final rebellion against God's rule and authority. Now, there's a reason God releases Satan for a period of time. You see, there are those who are convinced that the solution to evil is something other than a transformed heart that is surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. So what God is doing in releasing Satan for this period of time is demonstrating two great principles. First, he's letting us know that punishment isn't the final answer. Satan has been in the abyss doing hard time for a thousand years. And when he comes back, he rebels one more time. Punishment isn't the final answer for the sin of humanity. If punishment or the threat of punishment was the final answer, surely we wouldn't rebel when we see the kind of punishment Satan has to endure. But punishment isn't the final answer. Second, he lets us know that environment isn't the final answer. Make your environment as good as you can, but after 1,000 years of peace and righteousness down in the human heart, this latent sin bubbles forth. You know, there are so many today who think if you could just change the environment, change the culture, change the, 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 the surroundings, then we could change the nature of people. They've forgotten that it was in the Garden of Eden, the most idyllic place imaginable that man got into trouble in the first place. You're not going to get a more perfect environment than the Garden of Eden. You won't have a more perfect environment than what will exist during the Millennial Kingdom, but it isn't going to stop sin and rebellion from occurring. Listen, punishment isn't the answer. Environment isn't the answer. The criminologist and his prisons aren't the answer. The sociologist and his programs aren't the answer. The educator and his philosophies aren't the answer. The statesman and his politics aren't the answer. There's only one answer. Only Jesus is the answer. The millennial, there's the forced restraint of Satan. There's the future reign of the Savior. There's the futile rebellion of sinners. Then this passage reveals one last thing, the final resolution of sin. It's found in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 20. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the final end of Satan. He is cast into the lake of fire. This is when there will be a final resolution of sin. The judgment that comes isn't by this mighty army with swords flashing. It isn't by this colossal battle. It's simply by the exercise of the will of Almighty God. He blows his breath upon them and they are permanently cast into an eternal hell. That's the end of Satan. The story is very clear. God wins. Satan loses. End of story. So let me ask you today. Why would you want to follow a loser? I don't know about you, but I want to be on the winning side. And the best time to make the decision to be on the winning team is right now. Don't put it off thinking you have plenty of time to decide. Today is the day of salvation.
you will surrender your heart to Jesus. He'll forgive your sin. He'll redeem your past. He'll restore your future. What I'm preaching today isn't science fiction. It isn't some fairy tale. It's what God says is going to take place. Jesus is coming. Satan is going to be bound. Jesus is going to reign. Everything in this world is going to be changed. There is coming a final rebellion. The Lord will put that down and then he will say, Father, here is the kingdom. I now deliver it up to you. What I'm doing today is giving you an opportunity to become part of that winning team. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer after me, please. Almighty God, I'm a sinner, and my sin deserves judgment, but I need and want mercy. Jesus, thank you that you died for my sin on the cross. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Right now, right this moment, I receive you as my Lord my Savior, and my God. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Save me, Lord Jesus. Transform my life from the inside out. I surrender my life to you. Because of the promise of your word, I claim you now as my Lord and my Savior. Because you are my Savior, I will not be ashamed of you because you died for me. Thank you for making me part of your forever family. Amen. Now, I want you to understand, you are not saved because you repeated that prayer. You are only saved if those words express a sincere desire of your heart. You are only saved if you truly surrender your life to Jesus. You know, Jesus himself said, it's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom, but what? The one who does the will of the Father. But if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, if you've made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and to follow his path instead of your own, And when you leave here today, I invite you to stop at the information desk. Tell the person there, you prayed with me today. They will give you a book that will help get you started with the next steps you need to take in your walk with Jesus. Before we get out of here, I want to tell you one more thing. In the midst of all that I've been talking about, I want you to remember this. If the Lord is capable of creating the world with just the word of his power, If he can deal with the Antichrist, if he can handle the false prophet, if he can bind the devil and throw him into the abyss, if he can defeat all the assembled armies of the world that rise up against him, if he can cause all the pieces of history to fall into place in order to accomplish his ultimate will and purpose for this earth and for his people, if he is able to do all of that, And I want you to be assured that he is certainly capable of handling any problem you may have today. 
Amen. Any problem. So what is it that has you beaten down? What is it that has you losing sleep? What is it that's brought you to the edge of despair? Before we go, I, I want to give you a chance to bring him your care, your worry, your anxiety, your problem. Give him a chance to bring his solution to your problem. Give him a chance to work his miracle on your behalf. Let's stand together, please. If somebody says, Pastor, yeah, I need to be reminded that Jesus can handle it. And I have something I want to turn over to him to let him handle. Can I just see your hand? Just put it up for a second and hold up. Good night. Yeah. I suspected that's where we were today. Lots of hands going up. I need Jesus to handle this. Would you just write where you are? See, you don't need to, you don't need to come forward. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You just need the Lord to lay his hand on you right now. Would you just believe with me as I pray that today is going to mark the, the, the breakthrough day, the, the turnaround day. Father, in the name of Jesus, that name that is above every other name, I'm praying for these people who have lifted their hands saying they have an issue that they need to turn over to you. There's a situation going on and they need your help. I'm asking you to come now with grace and glory and to touch their lives in a new and fresh way. I'm asking, oh Lord, that you will give them the breakthrough they need. That this week, they will begin to see just a handful on purpose that lets them know that you are at work. I pray today, Lord, that you will touch them, that you will deliver them, that you will rescue them, that you will restore them, that you will help them, that you will encourage them. I believe you for that, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you because, Lord, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to make this happen. But you know. So I'm asking now that you will touch your people and bring them the help they need. And I believe you for that, Lord Jesus. We trust you with it. I pray all of these things in that matchless name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Somebody agree with that prayer in saying amen. amen. Praise God. Would you just thank the Lord for that? that there's an old song of the church that I want us to, want us to sing here today. Um, some of you will know it. Some of you will think, boy, that's new music we're doing. So I, but it's very old. It, the verse starts out like this, because it talks about this millennial reign. It says, I am watching for the coming of the grand millennial day when our blessed Lord shall come and catch his waiting bride away. Oh, my heart is filled with rapture as I labor, watch, and pray. For our Lord is coming back to earth again. You remember that? Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back 
to earth again. Then the sin and sorrow, pain and death, of this dark world shall cease in a glorious reign of Jesus of a thousand years of peace all the earth is groaning crying for that day of sweet release for our Jesus shall come back to earth again oh our Lord is coming back to earth again yes our Lord is coming back to earth again Satan will be bound a thousand years, will have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again.